Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today's show is brought to you by Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities, and they're doing it in three easy steps. Just go online to mercurymile.com, create your profile, and choose your sizes and preferences, and they'll send you out a box of goodies. Usually, I don't know, Six to ten things is what I've gotten in the past. I've gotten several Mercury Mile boxes, and they're all really good. High-quality products, a wider range of things, all very topical. So here we are. It's end of October. So in that box, you'd probably get a lot of winter running gear, which is nice. And then the best part is you keep what you love, and you send back what you don't. It's very easy, and the stuff that you keep is quite affordable. So you really can't lose And the fact of the matter is, you're too busy anyway. You're too busy to go shopping, and Christmas is too far away. Don't rely on Christmas presents for your winter running gear, Hanukkah presents, any kind of present. My birthday's in January. I can't wait till January to get my winter running gear. I need it now. So go to mercurymile.com, and at checkout, just type in Rambling Runner 10 to save 10 bucks. So, this episode is with Crystal Seaver. Crystal is just, as you'll see in the show notes, if you haven't read it already, Crystal's just a badass. There's no other way to put it. She literally climbed Stratton Mountain in Vermont with a bunch of other people doing one of Jesse Itzler's events. She climbed it 17 times. Why 17 times? Because that is the equivalent of climbing Mount Everest. That's right, Mount Everest. And she did it in roughly 24 hours, actually a little bit less. This woman does incredible things, and even that, that event in and of itself, while life-changing, was not the hardest thing she's ever done. Can you believe that? So she is a fantastic runner, not someone who grew up running, mind you, someone who's runner now and does it very, very well. We talk about that amazing challenge, that amazing event she did, all that went into that, all all the training she needed to do to prepare for it, why she tests herself with these kind of challenges. And what her weightlifting life is like in terms of preparing for athletic success. So she's very active when it comes to personal, not personal training, but lifting weights, not just, you know, doing the squats and, and, you know, the deadlifts and things like that, but also the small core exercises that are so easy to slough off. She is like the master at these. We talk a lot a bit, a lot about that as well. So I have no doubt that you'll love this episode with Crystal Seaver. Hello, Crystal, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I love to be here. Well, I'll tell you, especially talk about loving to be here. You are currently on vacation. So the fact that you're doing this during vacation week is awesome. So where, where are you guys right now? All good stuff. Um, We are at Curry Beach in North Carolina, so a little bit cold for North Carolina, but after living in New England for all of my life, I feel like it's kind of wonderful and fall-like and just really relaxing. Well, I'll tell you, so I'm in Rhode Island, and this morning I woke up to our first frost on the ground. So you have that that going for you. I know you're, you're more of an upper New England person. But it's uh yeah it's it's getting cold. So are you are you like a a beach or bust type feel? Like are you going on the beach no matter what, or do you have to like find alternative fun when it's a little bit colder than you expected? 
No, totally still going on the beach. We have a house right on the beach, but um, definitely in all the layers first thing in the morning, you know, to catch the sunrise. Like I, I was joking that I was wearing my, my puffy jacket on the beach in North Carolina, but you know, you can enjoy the beach year round. You just have to dress for it. That's true. See, I was living out in Coronado for a summer uh, after college. And it was like a very unique experience. Like here in Rhode Island, when it's summer, like it's just hot all the time. Like you wake up in the middle of the night and it's, and it's, it's hot. Whereas like out there, it was like, it'd be 60 degrees, even in July when I woke up and then it would like get to 90, like unbelievably quickly. But it was just a unique experience. But it's kind of nice to like be on the beach with like a hoodie on. It's just like, it, it is kind of a cool feeling. Mm-hmm. Totally like relaxing and refreshing and I'm, I'm probably not going to go swimming in the ocean because the ocean feels great because it's still 80 degrees. But when you get out, you freeze to death. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'll tell you what, you deserve all the vacation you can get because you have been kicking some serious butt over the past few months, um, maybe even longer than that. That's for sure. But you just had an experience last weekend which i've been looking at myself is like i think i'd really love to do this and then i saw that you were doing it then i was like filled with like complete like fomo like i was like oh fear missing out (laughs) completely it looked awesome so how would you just dive in tell the people what you did um it just it it really was remarkable sure um i feel really lucky to have given this event even a chance because it's a little bit different than what I normally do. And so this event is called 29029 and that is the elevation of Everest. So the idea behind the event is actually that it is not a race. It's a challenge. And I think that is a very unique concept in itself. And we can talk about that a little bit more, but first I want to kind of explain what you, what your challenge was. So when this event was created, it started at Stratton mountain in Vermont, Southern Vermont. And the idea was that you were going to have a set period of time to hike the equivalent elevation of Everest. So you're 29,000 feet in change, which means about 17, passes up under the gondola at Shrine Mountain from, you know, base camp to the summit. And you can do this however you want to pursue it. So you can take breaks whenever you want. If you choose to go to sleep, you can choose to go to sleep. You, you basically are on your own. You had from Friday morning at 6 a.m., everybody starts together. And then you have all the way until Saturday at 6 p.m. You had to start your last summit by 5 o'clock at night. Um, and you could approach that any way you wanted. So in my mind, 36 hours is is a pretty long period of time and definitely enough time for almost everybody to complete this challenge, you know, give or take as long as you keep moving forward. That's all you have to do. Uh, my approach, having been in the ultra world enough and kind of had that experience of being on your feet for that long was to tackle this straight on through. Um, and I went from six o'clock Friday morning and finished somewhere around 2 a.m. on that night into Saturday morning. Um, and it was cold. I mean, it was Vermont kind of cold. So during the day, um, you were you were in kind of the 40s. The sun broke a little bit later on, maybe around 1. But for the most part, it was pretty chilly. And the other variable this year was that it had poured um, the day before the event and kind of 
throughout the night and it did it did stop before the event started so the other obstacle was that you were going to have some pretty muddy terrain that was only going to get muddier as the day went on and so my approach to this was not to go in full-on race effort to go in to enjoy it but to still keep a challenging pace out there and that is what I did so over the course of you know those hours you hike up the mountain and you ride the gondola down. And so you, you spend about five and a half hours total on the gondola over the course of time. So you lose some time there um, from your moving time, but it also allows you to save your legs from the downhill impact. I don't think this event would be the same or even feasible if you had that constant downhill impact. So um, very unique event on Stratton. Definitely one of my favorites, and I'm sure you have some other questions to learn more about it since you were already so excited about it. Well, I certainly <laughs> do. So I'm, um, first of all, I was definitely one of the people who bought Living with a Seal as soon as it came out. Jesse Ipsler's book uh, about his time where he had, he hosted David Goggins in his mm-hmm. home, and it was fascinating. It was like certainly, an, you know, anyone who knows David Goggins can can just imagine what that was must have been like. <laughs> I was aware that that's who was, you know, and in the book, it's like an identified, it's unidentified yes. Navy SEAL, but I knew who it was. So it was like, all right, this is, it, it gave a little <laughs> more color to like, to the story. And it was really, really good. But the, the whole point is, this guy is such a fascinating guy. So he runs this, right? He's like oversees it. Like this is his vision. Yeah. So this is, this is Jesse's sort of, I would say his passion project. Um, I think one of the most frequently asked questions that I've had come up was that, is this like his project and he like created it or is this his project and like he's actually there? Um, And so he is, he's actually there. This is totally passion for him, but he is out there on the mountain, just like everyone else out there hiking right alongside you. You know, this is, this is his thing as much as it is a challenge to us. It's a challenge to him as well. And and you can just tell kind of his heart is behind it. Um, he was out when I was about to finish my last lap. And we joke about this now because he was going to finish my last lap with me. But they were taking too long, like trying to like maneuver gloves and layers. And I, I don't know what else. And <laughs> I was like, see you later. I'm freezing to death and hiked up the mountain without them. But I think, you know, he is fascinating in his own regards and some of his achievements. But I think what's really incredible and what people need to know is that, you know, when you head out to the mountain at the end of the day, you're all going to put on a bib and then you just, you, you create a human element and it doesn't really matter who is who anymore. You're all facing the same challenge and you all work through it together. And I think that is really the the vision they had when they created this event. Exactly. So he's, it's like, I think part of the fascinating part about him isn't that he loves to do these things or really test himself in unique ways. Cause there's a lot of people who feel that way, right? I feel like everybody in the ultra community, you could describe in that way. Right. Yes. I feel like the unique part is like where he is like as someone like he owns an NBA team and he does that sort of thing. Like he lives mm-hmm. a very privileged lifestyle and he does these things. Like I think mm-hmm. that's where it's unique, right? It's like, Hey, I'm a billionaire. And so is my wife. And like, I'm going to test myself in like, in all these like crazy oddball ways and very, and it was a very spontaneous life like that. So I feel like for me, that was always like the fascinating part. So 
in regards to this challenge, I can't wait to talk to you about like the mental side, but before mm-hmm. we get there, just from like an X's nose standpoint, like what did you need from a gear perspective? Obviously it was cold, but just like, like poles and you know, what kind of shoes? Like I'm just trying to imagine like you going up the mountain, like what do you need to complete this thing? Sure. Um, I think gear was really important to think about this year, especially given the circumstances of the weather. Um, when I finished, it was about tw- in the twenties and the wind was whipping. So it became really cold in the overnight hours. And um, one of the things that I knew was that it would become very cold and what that cold would feel like. So for me, the important part was one that I, I wanted to wear, wear trail shoes, mainly because that's what I'm comfortable in. Many people also chose kind of the waterproof hiking boot route, and you could really do either. The goal was really just to have something that either drained water well and didn't retain water because of the mud and the water running down the mountain, or have something that was kind of waterproof and a little sturdier. And I think that's just a matter of what you're comfortable with. And then the other thing was, okay, are you going to change your socks? Are you not going to change your socks? And again, that's a personal preference, but if your feet are submerged in mud and water um, for that long of time, you probably want to take care of your feet because over that course, you're not going to have a pretty finish if you have a bunch of blisters on your feet. Um, And then it was a matter of layering well on the top. And that may have meant, you know, Gore-Tex layers that may have meant down that may have been wool whatever it was that you needed you know during the daylight hours you probably only needed a long sleeve to a light jacket but once the sun went down you need multiple layers to stay warm enough to move um we were all joking because jesse actually was wearing this you know like alaska antarctica down puffer jacket and we were like why are you wearing this this is like the most ridiculous thing but guess what he was warm out on that mountain (laughs) and it was cold but you always have to be prepared for the weather there um once saturday day came it started with rain for participants in the morning changing to snow at the top of the mountain so you now are going to be wet and cold and then you climbed a little higher and it turned into a blizzard. So, you know, hats, gloves, all of those things were really um, a logistical importance. And then you mentioned you probably wanted poles for this. And that's, you know, just a stability factor. And as it got muddy, it prevented you from slipping and sliding as much. It also allows you to get up the mountain a little bit more efficiently and take some of that, that hard work off yourself. I did multiple laps without poles and multiple laps with poles, mainly because I'm comfortable climbing the mountain. But I would say, you know, a very big difference from last year to this year is that people realize that you're hiking and that those poles really will be an advantage to you. Now, is the path straight up or does it kind of zigzag up and is more of like a a natural path that people would go up on the mountain? (laughs) No. So because you're going from base to summit, it's pretty much a straight up path that you're following the gondola line. Um, So like you have the gondola poles as reference to know kind of where you are in the mountain and it's set up in a way that you have a aid station at the bottom at the base and then you have one halfway up. And then you have one at the top of the mountain. So everyone will tell you that the climb from the first aid station to the second is is rather gradual. And it's kind of pleasant and nice. And that's just how, you know, a mountain works. When you leave the second aid station to go up to 
the top of the mountain. That's where it becomes pretty steep and it's a pretty daunting climb. It's relatively short in distance and even elevation gain overall because it's just, you know, half, it's just the steepness of the mountain. So there were signs um, that I remember very vividly of uh, you were at 1250 in elevation and then 1500. Well, 1250 to 1500 was probably the most challenging section of the course. And it always just felt like forever, but you knew when you got to 1500 feet, like the end was in sight. And then you would see the fence at the top that's under the gondola. And every time you saw that fence, you knew you're almost there. And when you're almost there, the mountain tends to flatten out again, because you've made it to the top. So you you had a very challenging course up the mountain. And because you've done it 17 times, you become very um, in tune with what's going on, I would say. And you kind of know where the challenges lie and where to kind of push effort, where to conserve energy and and where to really be efficient in, in your time and movement up the mountain. Now you're, you're, you're a very strong person. Anyone who follows you on social media knows your, you know, your workout routines. You put a lot of stuff out there from a content perspective. Um, so how much of this race do you feel or challenge? I should say, how much of this challenge was a test of endurance versus like a test of strength? Cause I'm envisioning going straight up a mountain and I'm like, all right, that's like, it's basically like doing like 10,000 consecutive like lunge walks. It's like, you know, imagining like you're like, you're just, you're literally like, obviously it's a huge test of leg strength as well as endurance. So how would you mm-hmm. categorize that? I think there are a few interesting takeaways from this. Um, I didn't really know what to expect going into it. Um, I have a lot of endurance work and background and I also have a lot of strength work you know on my sort of resume and experience list but I've never tried to just hike up a mountain on repeat you know over and over again so a few things really stand out here one is that you're you're hiking so in my mind this becomes a much more manageable endurance event and one that really anybody who adequately trains and it doesn't need to be over the top and it doesn't even need to look like anything that I do it just really needs to be that you're moving ahead of time so you start to understand your body but because you're hiking and you're not running and you're only going uphill you've eliminated that sort of impact shock factor on your body so while I can tell you that your legs are definitely going to be fatigued and tired you're climbing up a mountain over and over again you don't get that bone aching horrible feeling that you get in other ultra running events where like you know every step is completely painful and your knees start to hurt and your joints start to hurt none of that ever happens and um even for people who are lesser experienced in this area the other thing is is that you essentially can walk forever you may not be able to run forever but you can walk forever and given the time element here you have a long time to finish this so you do not have to do it you know straight through like I did you can you can go to sleep for a couple hours and get up and move again you also have a lot of recovery station help here you can get a massage if needed you can sit in you know the Norman Tech boots but I would advise anyone you know the key thing here before you do something like this is to spend time on your feet we do a lot of sitting 
as a society and we don't tend to stay on our feet for long periods of time. And that's the real, real challenge here besides, you know, mentally having to do the same thing over and over again in maybe less than ideal conditions, you need to stand on your feet for a really long period of time. So it, it really comes down to what I, what I like to call time on feet training. And that doesn't mean you have to be running. That doesn't mean that you have to be doing anything extreme, but you have to be out there on your feet for that amount of time. So this really is a, a test of endurance. And with some very basic training, you could get through it. Um, one of the things I will point out is that at the end of the event, as we were all celebrating, you know, efforts of everybody out there, everybody made it to at least one of the peaks uh, if they didn't complete, you know, the full Everest climb. And many did. But we were all asked, was, you know, was this the hardest thing you've ever done? And the majority of the room put their hands up. Um, did you did you put your hand up? I did not put my hand up. And I would say, you know, for me, this wasn't the hardest thing I've ever done. But I, I have some pretty substantial ultras on my list of things that I've done. But maybe there were maybe five other people in the room that didn't put their hand up. And that's pretty incredible to me to have a room full of, you know, almost 200 people and everybody's telling you it's the hardest thing they've ever done with a very, very differing background. You know, many of these people are not endurance athletes by any means, but they wanted a challenge and they knew that they were going to put their heart behind this. And there's a training plan that the event also offers just to kind of guide people through it. And they put in their time and their movement and then came out to do something that was the hardest thing they've ever done. And for me, it it may not have been the hardest thing I've ever done, but it was by far very challenging like it is very difficult to climb the same mountain over and over again but um the hardest part for me was more okay don't push it to a point that you can't complete this because it's not it's not a race it's a challenge and you need to soak up that challenge that is being presented to you versus get into this race mode where you're giving it your all and you don't feel the same way that you feel when you can have conversation with somebody up this mountain as well. Now, what was the community feeling like? Cause I saw a bunch of videos on a bunch of people's Instagrams and things like that. Um, and it seemed like it was very communal. People were very excited. Um, but obviously it's different at the beginning and end of one of these things than it is in the middle when everyone's kind of in the pain cave and kind of like can only really worry about themselves sometimes. Yeah, sure. Um, I think, think you know this is a community it is absolutely a community and when you think about it there's there's many reasons why it's a community right you arrive on Thursday afternoon and you are paired up if you didn't come with anyone you're paired up with complete strangers into your tents and these are like luxury tents they're beautiful inside and you're going to be housed here for the weekend like this is your home so you come in, you get your place to stay, and then you continue on to, you know, dinners and lectures and just having the opportunity to meet a lot of people. And then the next morning, you're all going to wake up and you're going to go to the start line, which is essentially right outside of your tent, and everybody stays there. So we all start the race together. Um, you hike all of these hikes together, you're never alone out on the course um, because you're going up such, you know, a small 
segment and then you hop in the gondola and you ride down and you know those gondola rides you end up talking a lot you have 15 minutes to talk and chat and you never end up alone in the course I never hiked up the mountain by myself I met a lot of people you kind of sync paces with a lot of people some people even teamed up together because they knew that there was power in numbers and kind of kept each other motivated through the harder hours and then when you finish regardless of when you finish you're all in the same space so you know normally we finish a race we get our medal we hang out maybe for a drink a beer you know congratulate a few other people but then we go home or back to like our respective places to stay you're not staying in the same space um which is really unique so you finish and then you basically have this huge celebration at night where everybody is recognized for their efforts you know there's a recap video of the whole you know the whole time and you start to see everybody's experience so you walk away with these what we could say in the cliche like life-changing experiences and relationships but these people feel you know like your family and your some of your closest friends now and you just met them for the first time this weekend but there are probably very few race-like scenarios where you spend a full four days like completely immersed with the people around you yeah and that immersion is even like i feel like the the relationships you can get from them are so intense because of that communal suffering Mm -hmm. where you're 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 kind of lay yourself bare in a way you don't really hold anything back because you're too you're too worried about holding yourself together (laughs) to hold anything back a little bit so it, it certainly you know you do form these relationships in times of suffering, whether it's on purpose, you know, purposeful suffering, or, you know, if, if it's something tragic that are very unique. So when you sign up for events like this, and I can't wait to find out what is the hardest thing you've ever done. When you sign up for events like this, what is the reason? What is it about overcoming challenges or reaching your full potential or anything else that makes you excited to do something like this? Sure. Um, I always say that I, I really love the challenge of the act that's in front of me. And one of the things that I really love is that you're going to get to explore a new place on foot. And when you explore something new by foot, you, you learn a lot about that place um, and you learn a lot about yourself. But the real reason I think that I keep going back and doing these things over and over again is because of the people. Um you learn so much about this community and I really just am fascinated by the fact that like when we are put in these situations and you know, our only real task is to move forward that we all just become very much human. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter, you know, where you came from or who you are or how fast you are or any of those things. You're all out there facing the same sort of challenge and doing the same thing. And that is something that brings me back, you know, time after time, you know, I will be out there at every single race telling you I'm never coming back again, because at some point you, you hit that low and it hurts so badly that you're like, I don't understand why I do this each and every time, but you know, that wears off too. And that challenge, you know, you can do more. And it's taken me a long time to kind of get into a really good, mental place too with some of these events I think you know for the first couple of ultras I ever ran it it was like ultimate breakdown you know at some halfway point or like close to the finish there I really just mentally couldn't hold it together 
for whatever reason it may be, maybe that I was just too tired or I didn't eat enough, but over time you come to kind of embrace the hard and the challenge of it. And, and now it's something that I thrive on, but also that community, that community is unlike anything else that you experience in the world. And I think I would be in a completely different place today without the community that I've sort of fallen into over time. Yeah, that, oh shoot, that's interesting when you talk about how you, your first forays into ultra was were different, where you had these these emotional, mental moments where you felt like you couldn't get past them. Do you still feel like you suffer to the same level, but now like you know that there's still light at the end of the tunnel, or was the suffering in the beginning just that much harder because you were still new to the experience? No, I think... It, it has nothing to do with being new to the experience. It was like you've never been in the place to know how hard, really hard is before. And that it's like kind of like, am I going to be okay? Am I not going to be okay? And you get to those levels of of hurt um, and, and suffering in those low points. Like those will never go away. But I think now, you know, like, the low points only last so long. Like you will get through this, the, the good and the highs, they only last so long too. And they're not going to stay there forever. Like you're not going to run a race where it's like butterflies and rainbows and unicorns. And that's, you know, all 50 or hundred miles. It's definitely not. So you come to realize like you ride out the highs and like you suffer through the lows, but they're both going to pass. It's just, it's just a small moment in time. I mean, even this last weekend when I was out on Stratton, I could tell you like between lap four to six, like the temperature dropped in the middle of the day by about 10 degrees. And that shift in temperature made that fifth lap absolutely miserable. And, you know, when I talked to anyone that's kind of in the endurance space, they were all feeling the same way. It was a really low point, like really early on. And it was like, but you know, that's going to go away when it's your first time out there. You don't really know when that's going to go away. And it's kind of like, this is the first time I'm experiencing this and kind of feeling this. And then you learn to manage it over time. Right. And I wonder how much of like your ability to get past these moments, because you're, you're very experienced in this realm and the fact that you were able to complete the entire challenge speaks to that. But I loved hearing your first foray into ultra marathoning where you had the 38 miler in Vermont, it's 98 degrees. It's just nasty outside. And just hearing you describe that effort, it got me thinking like, what do you think looking back, what do you think about that event being more of a springboard for you into this realm as opposed to a deterrent like all right i'm not doing this again i'm gonna try something else <laughs> yeah and i think that's that is the ultra world right like you you go into this world and you basically get to the finish line and you either think like that was horrible and this is for me or that is horrible and i am never going to do this again and and for me it was like that was horrible but it was like so bad it was good like this weird twisted way like it was so bad I had no idea what I was doing but I but I made it here and I got here and I don't really know how but I did um I if I back up a little bit and this may be helpful to some of the listeners as well is when I started running I didn't run you know throughout my younger days I just started running in post-college days and I hated it like 
hated it more than any other form of exercise. But to me, it was a challenge. Like, if these people around me could all do this, then I need to, like, mentally figure out how I can wrap my head around it. And so when I started running trails, I actually enjoyed it versus running on the road. And that's kind of how I got into the ultra world. Um, Instead of doing anything traditional or kind of what I would consider a much more strategic or right way to get into the ultra world, I just signed up for an ultra and I didn't run, you know, a marathon distance or a half marathon or any of those things ahead of time. And I actually didn't really even know what it was like to run in big mountains, but I decided I was going to do it. Um, signed up, you know, it was like a 30 miles. That's not too bad. Ended up being 38. And, you know, somewhere out there, I was like, huh, this is pretty horrible. And I have no water and it's hot and I'm in the middle of the woods. But when you're in the middle of the woods, you have two options. You can sit down and hope that somebody is eventually going to find you and you still have to sit there and suffer. And then when they find you, you still have to get out of the woods or you can just keep moving forward and you don't have to move fast, but you have to move forward. And, you know, for me, that's that's pretty interesting of a concept. Like nobody is asking you to do more than just move forward. That's all you have to do. And you know, sometimes you're not going to make time cutoffs if you're only moving forward at a slow pace, but that's really it. And um, when I finished that race, I don't even think I really thought about it. When I finished, my legs were cramping like it hurt to get my shoes off. You know, I didn't eat enough throughout the day because I didn't really understand how much you needed to eat to run this, um, all these things. But a couple of days later, I was like, hmm, I think I can get behind this. I really like it. Like, I like the people. Like, there's something about it. I like being in the mountains. And I kind of kept going from there. But I could have gone the other way. I mean, I was not prepared for what I did. I honestly don't even know, thinking back on it, like how I made it through other than like, okay, you're in the woods. You have to keep going or you don't get out of the woods and it's going to get dark soon and you don't have a headlamp because you didn't think it was going to take you that long. Um, So I just kept moving forward. And eventually I did finish. And, you know, I finished doing pretty well actually in comparison to a lot of people and I it was kind of one of those turning points where you're like okay I am stronger than I probably thought and I can get behind this yeah it's it's still like amazing to me it's like I've had that experience of running a marathon and then driving home and like cramping up in the car ride I've been <laughs> like I'm done I'm not doing that again um and obviously you you, you know it's like what do they say? It's like, you don't, you don't, a woman doesn't plan on her next baby while she's still in childbirth with this right. one. Right. And it's like, that's completely understandable and probably like a little bit too far of the metaphor for a lot of people, or at least yeah. TMI. But um, I can definitely see that being the case, which also begs the question, going back to what you said earlier, what is the hardest thing you've ever done? Somebody asked me this last weekend too. And I think they're, are so many scenarios where different things made it the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, last year in May, I ran my first 100 miles and it was also in Vermont and the conditions were just really horrible, like pouring hurricane winds. So the course was really muddy. Um, and from like a physical standpoint, like this course really was you know to my advantage it had all the things that I really love well when you add in countless numbers of storms and rain 
heading into this race in springtime Vermont, you come out with a scenario that's really muddy, like mud to your knees, muddy. So you no longer can really move fast, even if you are capable of moving fast. So I was on my feet for 35 ish hours, maybe even a little bit more to complete 100. But there was never a point in time where I thought I'm not going to finish this. Like I had set my mind to it far before the event began. And well, it was hard for some reasons, you know, 60 to 80 was really unbearable for me. Um, but I had already made up my mind to like, you, you're going to finish this. Like I never thought once, like maybe I can't do this. Like I had really severe chafing because it had rained the whole time. And, and I just knew that I was going to push through it. It may be a lot slower than I anticipated, but I could do it. Um, and then, you know, for other reasons, I just did Squamish 50-50 out in British Columbia in August. And this year was a little bit of a challenging year for me. Many people know that I was in a car accident last summer and ended up with kind of severe effects from the whiplash. And I always dismissed whiplash as not being a real thing prior to experiencing it myself. But I haven't been able to run or train, you know, kind of to my full potential because I'm getting severe upper back and neck pain and to the point where my back is seizing up and I can't really move. Um, So Squamish is a really challenging course. It's also really beautiful. It's steep. It's rocky. It's technical. You know, you have a lot of climbing. And with this event, you have to run 50 miles on day one, go to sleep or pretend you're sleeping um, overnight and run 50k on day two and 50 miles was fine it w- it was definitely you know the hardest 50 miles I've ever run because of the technicality and the challenge of the course um, my back was bothering me it gave me a migraine you know somewhere around mile 20 was able to like work through all of that had no idea if I could even run 50 miles at that point because I hadn't run that distance since I had hurt my back and then had to wake up the next morning and run 50K. Well, after you run 50 miles and 26 miles or any significant long distance, nobody likes to move when you try to get out of bed in the morning to run any sort of distance. So waking up after not really sleeping because you're in so much pain from that earlier run, having to get dressed, you know, get your clothes together and get ready and head back out the door is pretty much the worst feeling in the entire world. Like you're nauseous, you're tired, everything hurts. And you're like, how am I going to go run right now? Like I have to run on the same course I ran yesterday, another 30 ish miles. So we get over there. You can tell everybody that's running 50 K for the first time. And everyone that already ran yesterday, because we're all hobbling around and looking quite miserable and not smiling and not excited or anything. (laughs) And you, hear the start line announcements and you have to start running and when you start running everything hurts like you've never felt hurt before and somehow you do get your feet to turn over but that day you know was really hard for me because my back was not cooperating I've also never been towards the back of the pack ever and so I was learning really quickly a lot about myself because I've never been in a situation where I physically could not move fast enough to get to a place where I really wanted to be. And while I was still ahead of cutoffs, I was coming closer to cutoff points than I would like. 
And then as I got about 10 miles out from the finish and my back just really wasn't holding up and I knew what the course looked like and it just wasn't feasible for me to move on. And, you know, it's really hard to make a call when it's a race you want to do if like I'm going to move on or I'm not. And in my head it was 10 miles and, you you know, you want to say it's only 10 miles, but 10 miles through very steep and technical terrain can take a very long time. And so, you know, races are always hard for different reasons. And, you know, part of what makes them so great is that you are faced with these really hard scenarios, physically, mentally, you know, emotionally, and you just kind of learn to deal with it over time. So, you know, for me, yes, it was totally disappointing to be like, I'm this close, but this far, but at the same time, I knew that if I didn't get out there in the first place, you know, and not even try it, like that would been harder for me. So, you know, I think Squamish 50-50 is definitely the hardest thing I've ever done from from a challenge standpoint, a terrain standpoint, a mental standpoint, all of those things. And um, I'm going back. Like, I, I will go back again next year. And, you know, if my back is not better, I'll probably make the choice to only run the 50-miler because I know it's something that I am able to do at this point. And I'm not willing to jeopardize sort of my health for, you know, a 50-50 race until my body is ready but um you're presented with different challenges at different times I think you know there are scenarios where you know if somebody asked me to run a really fast 5k like that could be the hardest thing I've ever done too because I personally just don't want to run fast not that I can't run fast I actually can I just don't enjoy it so that's harder for me to wrap my head around than it is to be like okay I'll go out and run 50 miles today yeah, I don't feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll stick with the five Ks for now. Well, I love how driven you are. Just just like it's obvious, first of all. But then it like picks up a notch when you're like, and I'm going back next year. Like, yeah. you're, like your voice got like intense. You're like, I can't wait to try that again. Like I'm not gonna be conquered by this race. Have you always been that way? Or is that something that's kind of come out as you've kind of progressed in your athletic life? No, I would say that this has always been sort of like kind of how I approach everything in life. My parents will probably tell you that was like the same mentality I had when I was, you know, five years old. But like, if this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to give it sort of my best effort. And, you know, sometimes that can be a good thing. And sometimes it can be a bad thing. But it, it's sort of how I get through all points of life and all parts of life. And I think that's what's really actually helped me succeed on the trails when I started to make that, uh, you know, transition to something. Like, I think the reason that I really got into it was because I needed a challenge. I needed something that was hard and I needed something that I could put like full drive and, and passion behind. Right. And then also like this, the idea of something hard, is can be so different for certain people, right? Like mm-hmm. obviously the, the activities that you're describing are hard period, right? We can just, that's, right. that's not relative. These are obviously hard for some people. It's more of like, Hey, hard for me is going to be like breaking a PR or, mm-hmm. you know, or something along those lines. And obviously it's hard for, for a variety of different reasons, but can be hard nonetheless. So when you're getting ready for this sort of thing, you're, you know, you're big into, um, into strength training as well. Mm -hmm. And I know that for you, it's not about body sculpting necessarily. It's about lifting for performance. Mm -hmm. So given the events that you, uh, compete in, I know you coach other people, but for the events you compete in, what does lifting for performance mean? 
Sure. I, I talk about this a lot and I talk about it mainly in the sense because a lot of times people will say, you know, they want some sort of look or aesthetic in that lean look. And I've never trained that way. I've always trained my body in terms of kind of output. I was a gymnast when I was younger. Um, and now I kind of translate some of those principles into what I do now. And I really would say that, you know, a foundation is the most important part when you're going to start running these long distances and everybody is different in a program and training style is going to look different for everyone. But for me, what's really important is that I work on the fundamentals and the basics. So lots of times you'll see that I'm really focusing on core strength and not because I'm like, Hey, I hope that I have a six pack so I can run this race, but Hey, like I hope that my body's going to hold up. I need strong hips. I need stability. I need to be able to stay upright. I need to be able to move in, you know, all different directions as well on the trail. So you'll see that I do a lot of movement in different directions. I won't just always be going that same linear forward motion. We'll go backwards. We'll go to the side. We'll go uh, transverse, you know, direction. Another important concept is like, okay, what does a hard day look like? And what does an easy day look like? And I think that was one of the harder shifts that I had to transition my own training to look like was, okay, these things that are, that we call maintenance or that we might deem as boring because they're hard in their own respect, but we might not necessarily break a sweat because we're not challenging ourselves in the same capacity. They're really important. So, you know, lateral band walks, I was just doing them this morning. Um, your, your squats with the band to like to really force glute strength. Um, we're doing bird dogs, all of these things that, you know, are easy to kind of brush off and say are not so important. Um, I think a lot of people know and something that I usually keep in my training program is what I call maintenance Monday. And I do that because I'm generally coming off of long weekend training because I use the weekends for the majority of my miles. I do run lower miles than many ultra distance runners do. And I do that specifically because that's what allows my body to perform at its best also like, so that I don't end up injured with overuse injuries. Um, but I also don't really want to only run. I really like the cross training components. So I get the majority of my miles on the weekends um, and long back to back runs, but I do circuits and shorter distance work Hill work, speed work, all of that happens during the middle of the week with other strength components that become really essential to movement on the trails because movement on the trails requires much more than just forward movement. You have to be kind of a well-rounded athlete and not just a runner. You took the words right out of my mouth. I was just about to say that. <laughs> it really is about general athleticism because you're doing all that stuff. You're going you're not going to be have a consistent stride. You're going to be going sideways sometimes. You know, your right. your ankle strength. You know, it's like who cares about ankle strength when you're running on the road, right? It's mm -hmm. like just like not something you're concerned with unless you just like turned your ankle. You know what right. I mean? Whereas like on mm -hmm. the trail, like I was scared to death I was going to turn an ankle when I was doing mm -hmm. the Killington Mountain Race. Yeah. Like I was like I wore ankle braces because <laughs> I was so afraid I was going to turn my ankle. Um, and it's so true. It's funny how you mentioned about like the band like the band walks mm -hmm. and things like that like i am 100 percent one of those people who looks at that and is like i'm sure that's important but like nah 
I'm not yeah. going to do that. You know what I mean? But like, here I am listening to you. You're accomplished a ton of unbelievable things. You're like, you're not doing this. Like, you know, you, you, you're, you're a very strong person. And the fact that you're doing these things as well, I think is a mm-hmm. testament to like how important they are. Like, it's so funny. Cause like aesthetically they look so goofy yeah. and it's like, how can this possibly be a value and it's like, but at the same time, you can listen to anybody who's at a high level and they all do it. It's almost like this one thing where it's almost like a bridge too far for someone like me. Cause it seems like, why would I spend time doing it? <laughs> Didn't I just run for an extra 10 minutes? Yeah. yeah. But like I had one guy on Tyler Underwood and he's mm-hmm. like, I'm telling you, he, this was like a direct quote. He was like, he's like, I would tell you three times a week to run 10 minutes less each run and do these instead. He goes, yeah. that's how important I think they are. Yeah, and that's kind of the philosophy that I have around these things, too. And believe me, I didn't always have this philosophy. Like, I was one of those people that, you know, this is the work that I'm going to do because this is hard and this is how I like to do it. And now there's a much bigger balance between what is actually really hard and my best effort and what is now what I would consider easy but absolutely essential. Like, we can't go hard every day or add just – you know, 10 more minutes of running or 10 more minutes of this, because then it just becomes sort of non-intentional work and you're doing it, but it's actually not really making you any better. And at the end of the day, you know, we all want to be better and stronger. And I would not say just as runners, just as in our daily movement, like we have to do these things intentionally. And that's when I started to wrap my head around that a little bit more and, be intentional about how I wanted to feel too, then I said, okay, fine, we can do maintenance Monday. And I kind of pulled myself accountable to it because I really like to check off my list of doing all my things. So like I include it because if I didn't do it, it would drive me crazy. So that's how it kind of came to be. I love it because it's one of those topics where it comes up a lot with younger athletes. I'm thinking like middle school, high school is that if someone is, is I say so if someone is not a multi is basically if if someone isn't a multi sport athlete they're far more likely to get injured because they don't get the full range of motion and utilize a bunch of different uh, muscles in a variety of different ways and at different levels and it's like mm-hmm. one of those things where we know that for kids right we know the importance of being a multi sport athlete for that reason not only for you know all the things that sports can provide but just from an injury prevention standpoint. But it's funny because, like, even I, who knows that and who, like, says it a bunch of times, like, a month to, to a variety of people, like, I don't necessarily apply that to my own life. Like, I'm not a multi-sport athlete anymore, right? Like, I am a right. runner. I'm a runner, period, which means, like, these sorts of exercises are important because they almost take the place of being a multi-sport athlete where, like, all right, if I was, like, playing basketball and football and running, then I would already be utilizing all of the muscles in my body in a variety of ways over the course of a year. Whereas now, like, I'm not. Like, if you just told me to go swim for an hour, I might have the endurance to do it. Like, I would not have the strength to do it. Right. It's true. It's true. And I think, you know, for me, I think the turning point was actually a really bad injury. And this was kind of the training philosophy I always believed in. I decided that I would, you know, go with an outside coach for a while, um, which – 
is not to say that that coach doesn't know what they're doing. They're very well known and a great coach and a great friend and a mentor to me. It just didn't, it doesn't work for my body. So I think it was also really important for me to understand, you know, okay, on paper, these, these plans can look great and these things can look great, but we really have to be in tune with our body and what our body does well with. So you know, post injury, you always smarten up a little bit. And when you can't run or do anything with your lower body for about um, three months, like, uh, like, I wasn't allowed to do anything, you learn really quick, like, hey, these little things might matter, and you might want to actually start doing them instead of brushing them off. That's a good point. All right, before we get into the last questions I do on every show, um, if someone wants to learn more about you or wants to become a client of yours, what's the best place to do that? Best place to kind of see full storyboard of life coaching, all those things is always Instagram under Crystal Seaver. Um, best way to reach me is always to try email. I'm, I'm pretty available on all platforms, but if you get to Instagram, you can pretty much email me right from there and reach out. I'm always happy to chat about, you know, life, training, anything. Um, love kind of just genuine coffee chit chat and love to talk about, you know, what does training look like from a performance standpoint? I love it. And, and the stuff that you put out is very useful. I need to start use you utilizing it more it's like i i see you doing i'm like wow that looks like you'd be really be helpful and then it's like yeah but i'm not gonna do that today so yeah. i gotta start doing it and putting my money uh where my mouth is that's for sure okay so when you're going out for a run are you wearing headphones or no headphones no headphones no headphones all right so what it what advice do you give other people about running and training but that you have trouble following trouble following oh gosh we should we should point out all my flaws now no um i think i i will always i'm I'm really good at like the maintenance activities and the one thing that i tell everyone is like to stay on top of foam rolling right like it's really important let me tell you i barely ever take out the foam roller and it's such a simple thing to do every night and i'll like get in a groove for like you know a week or two and then i'm like hmm, i'm gonna put the foam roller back in the closet but you know maintenance has a lot of of facets and variety and that's the one thing that like i just can't wrap my head around and do on a consistent basis well it's nice to know that you're like the rest of us in some ways crystal (laughs) because you're such a high achiever it's nice to see a little bit of a flaw that's for sure (laughs) um all right so if you could run one more race for the rest of your life but you could run it every year what race would that be Oh, this is so fun. Um, I think I'm, I'm going to have to go with Squamish 50-50. It, it just, it's amazing terrain. It's, it's the hardest challenge, and it just, like, speaks to me from a, a terrain standpoint. It's just my thing. I would go back over and over again, even if it meant suffering for, you know, two days straight. Wow. So that's high praise. That's for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. So other end of the spectrum, what is a bucket list race for you? Um, lots of bucket list races, but I think, you know, kind of top of list right now is that I will go back into the hundred world again, once my back is feeling better, um, bear 100 is, is kind of a lesser known race that I really want to do. That's out towards Utah area. Um, I definitely want to get some of that higher altitude running in obviously some other big names in the ultra world, 
Western States is huge. Also would love to head out to UTMB one year and all of these things, you know, are within reach. It requires some really strategic trading when you don't necessarily live next to the biggest mountains, but all possible. I love it. All right. Last one. Who's your dream running partner? Mm, I would say I actually am really lucky to have some really great close friends versus like maybe coming up with a running partner that is is kind of like a standout athlete. But I think, you know, my dream running partner are actually the people that are, are just getting into the run that kind of have left the sort of higher standards or podium looking or best races out there, like the people who are really just valuing the time on their feet and heading out for the movement. I think what comes to mind is like when I had the opportunity to run with the Terra Hamara in Copper Canyon, Mexico, like there's no frills with that running. There's no expectations. There's just a love for movement. It's just like a byproduct of lifestyle and running with that sort of thought process is a very different experience. Yeah, it's just a different way of living as well, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's much further than just your athletic performance. Right. That's great. And is that something that you, after experiencing that, try to take the time to cultivate in your own life? I think that, you know, it's part of what has made ultra running possible is that it, it has to become, you know, we have training plans, but at the end of the day, it's more a byproduct of what we do and like being active every day being out on our feet valuing time outside you know making things a little bit harder and transitioning day to day in that sort like having less comfort and a little bit more uncomfortable is really what allows you to succeed there so while it will never look like the extremes of what these people live I think that we can take some of those values and that sort of lifestyle and apply it to our own Well said. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Crystal. This has been so much fun. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. It was a great time to chat. All right. Well, hey, have a great vacation and I'll talk to you again. Great. Thank you, Crystal, for coming on the show. What a fantastic episode. What an amazing woman. I just, uh, I knew this would be a great episode as soon as we booked it and it 100% did not disappoint. That's for sure. Also, shout out to Megaton Coffee and Mercury Mile for sponsoring this episode. Both companies are awesome. Go check them out. Also, big shout out to you, the listener, for sharing the podcast. I really appreciate it. Every time you tag the show, I love it. And it's also just nice to see the feedback. And it's nice to see which episodes you like, because I want to give you more of those. That's for sure. So thanks again to everybody, and happy running.